Chapter Six of Beasts, Men, and Gods. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Beasts, Men, and Gods, by Ferdinand Ossendowski, Chapter Six: A River in Travail. My presence in the Sivkova country was not for long, but I used it in full measure. First, I sent a man in whom I had confidence and whom I considered trustworthy, to my friends in the town that I had left, and received from them linen, boots, money, and a small case of first-aid materials and essential medicines, and, what was most important, a passport in another name, since I was dead for the Bolsheviki. Secondly, in these more or less favourable conditions, I reflected upon the plan for my future actions. Soon in Sivkova, the people heard that the Bolshevik commissar would come for the requisition of cattle for the Red Army. It was dangerous to remain longer. I waited only until the Yenisei should lose its massive lock of ice, which kept it sealed long after the small rivulets had opened and the trees had taken on their spring foliage. For one thousand roubles I engaged a fisherman who agreed to take me fifty-five miles up the river to an abandoned gold-mine as soon as the river— which had then only opened in places, should be entirely clear of ice. At last, one morning, I heard a deafening roar like a tremendous cannonade, and ran out to find the river had lifted its great bulk of ice, and then given way to break it up. I rushed on down to the bank, where I witnessed an awe-inspiring but magnificent scene. The river had brought down the great volume of ice that had been dislodged in the south, and was carrying it northward under the thick layer which still covered parts of the stream, until finally its weight had broken the winter dam to the north, and released the whole grand mass in one last rush for the Arctic. The Yenisei, Father Yenisei, Hero Yenisei, is one of the longest rivers in Asia, deep and magnificent, especially through the middle range of its course, where it is flanked and held in canyon-like by great towering ranges. The huge stream had brought down whole miles of ice-fields, breaking them up on the rapids and on isolated rocks, twisting them with angry swirls, throwing up sections of the black winter roads, carrying down the tepees built for the use of passing caravans, which in the winter always go from Minusinsk to Krasnoyarsk on the frozen river. From time to time the stream stopped in its flow, the roar began, and the great fields of ice were squeezed and piled upward, sometimes as high as thirty feet, damming up the water behind, so that it rapidly rose and ran out over the low places, casting on the shore great masses of ice. Then the power of the reinforced waters conquered the towering dam of ice, and carried it downward with a sound like breaking glass. At the bends and the river, and round the great rocks developed terrifying chaos. Huge blocks of ice jammed and jostled, until some were thrown clear into the air, crashing against others already there, or were hurled against the curving cliffs and banks, tearing out boulders, earth, and trees high up the sides. All along the low embankments this giant of nature flung upward with a suddenness that leaves man but a pygmy in force a great wall of ice fifteen to twenty feet high, which the peasants called Zaberega, and through which they cannot get to the river without cutting out a road. One incredible feat I saw the giant perform, when a block many feet thick and many yards square was hurled through the air, 
and dropped to crush saplings and little trees more than half hundred feet from the bank. Watching this glorious withdrawal of the ice, I was filled with terror and revolt at seeing the awful spoils which the Ennesai bore away in this annual retreat. These were the bodies of the executed counter-revolutionaries, officers, soldiers, and Cossacks of the former army of the superior governor of all anti-Bolshevik Russia, Admiral Kolchak. They were the results of the bloody work of the Cheka at Minusinsk. Hundreds of these bodies, with heads and hands cut off, with mutilated faces and bodies half-burned, with broken skulls, floated and mingled with the blocks of ice, looking for their graves, or turning in the furious whirlpools among the jagged blocks, they were ground and torn to pieces into shapeless masses, which the river, nauseated with its task, vomited out upon the islands and projecting sandbars. I passed the whole length of the middle Yenisei, and constantly came across these putrefying and terrifying reminders of the work of the Bolsheviki. In one place, at a turn of the river, I saw a great heap of horses, which had been cast up by the ice and current, in number not less than three hundred. A verst below there I was sickened beyond endurance by the discovery of a grove of willows along the bank, which had raked from the polluted stream and held in their finger-like drooping branches human bodies in all shapes and attitudes, with a semblance of naturalness which made an everlasting picture on my distraught mind. Of this pitiful, gruesome company I counted seventy. At last the mountain of ice passed by, followed by the muddy freshets that carried down the trunks of fallen trees, logs, and bodies, bodies, bodies. The fisherman and his son put me and my luggage into their dugout made from an aspen tree, and pulled upstream along the bank. Poling in a swift current is very hard work. At the sharp curves we were compelled to row, struggling against the force of the stream, and even in places hugging the cliffs and making headway only by clutching the rocks with our hands and dragging along slowly. Sometimes it took us a long while to do five or six metres through these rapid holes. In two days we reached the goal of our journey. I spent several days in this gold-mine, where the watchman and his family were living. As they were short of food, they had nothing to spare for me, and consequently my rifle again served to nourish me, as well as contributing something to my hosts. One day there appeared here a trained agriculturalist. I did not hide, because during my winter in the woods I had raised a heavy beard, so that probably my own mother could not have recognized me. However, our guest was very shrewd, and at once deciphered me. I did not fear him, because I saw that he was not a Bolshevik, and later had confirmation of this. We found common acquaintances and a common viewpoint on current events. He lived close to the gold-mine in a small village where he superintended public works. We determined to escape together from Russia. For a long time I had puzzled over this matter, and now my plan was ready. Knowing the position in Siberia and its geography, I decided that the best way to safety was through Urianhai, the northern part of Mongolia, on the headwaters of the Yenisei then through Mongolia, and out to the Far East, and the Pacific. Before the overthrow of the Kolchak government, I had received a commission to investigate Urianhai and Western Mongolia, and then, with great accuracy, 
I studied all the maps and literature I could get on this question. To accomplish this audacious plan, I had the great incentive of my own safety. End of chapter